Hi, everyone. It is Thursday, October 19th, 2023. Welcome to TechTO Quick Takes. I'm your host, Alex Riley, and here are today's headlines. Vendesta continues to leverage its distribution advantage to raise and grow. Procurify lands 50 million USD to grow AI tools. And we review Hive's raise in a secondary market, especially during tough times. And to help me weigh in on all of this news, Alex Norman joins me. How are you, Alex? Great. How are you, Alex? I'm good. Thank you. It's uh, sunny, it's sort of warm, and it's yeah. the end of October. What else can I ask for in Canada? So a few larger headlines we want to get into today. I know you have a lot of takes on just sort of what happened over the last couple of weeks. So um, thinking we start with the Vendesta headline. So before you maybe get into more of the details of this news, what is Vendesta for those who don't know what it is they do? We're talking about three fundraisers today, and mm -hmm. I feel like we haven't done it in a while, so it's it's generally good. And Vendesta one's actually big, but like so for people that don't know Vendesta, it's Saskatoon based. And what they do is they have a bunch of SaaS products aimed at SMBs. And they enable third parties that sell SMBs to basically white label the products and offer it as their own products. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, they're basically uh, you know, a SaaS platform that's distributed through other companies. Um, and they're significant size through their embedding. They've reached hundred million in a run rate revenue. They have 200,000 SMBs using their, you know, their platform indirectly. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be a, quite a decent niche in the tech industry. And so I just want to talk about, um, just around this, what stands out to you. Cause I know to me, what I found interesting is obviously Saskatoon based. They're not typically associated with, you know, major tech hubs or in the major tech hub areas. So Aside from just maybe location base, what else is really interesting to you about this race? Yeah, maybe maybe I'll just touch a bit on the location to start with. Um, mm -hmm. You know, let's call it in the boom in 2021, late 2020, everyone everywhere was getting fun. Founded. Hey, you have a startup. I don't care if you're in uh, Riga or you're in Buenos Aires or small town, um, you know, Greenland. I don't know if there's a big yeah. town in Greenland. Um, but one of the stories we're hearing as a, capital has gone more scarce is that it's starting to concentrate in the tech hubs again it's, mm -hmm. it's you know going back to the bay area new york you know to some lesser extent toronto so seeing a large financing in saskatoon is definitely against trend and says something about the quality of this company so that that's the first thing mm -hmm. second thing let's let's talk about the actual financing it was a 20 million dollar round um and as part of this round they converted 52.5 million into venture so let's talk about that debenture. Um, to me, the nature of it's unclear. So there's there's two types of ways you get. There's, there's two things this could uh, relate to, and it wasn't clear to us which one. Mm -hmm. Maybe in the past round, part of they raised, they had lots of announcements. Maybe some of that wasn't selling what they call preferred shares. They sold a convertible. Usually, that's referred to convertible, not debenture, and those typically convert. But sometimes you get, you know, you go get. You raise 50 million and then you get an option to get equity, you know, debt financing. So if it's the, if it was a convertible that converted, that's pretty par for course. There's usually some metrics, hey, if you raise it such valuation, we're gonna convert. Um, if it was debt and mm -hmm. that converted, that's kind of unusual. Usually, you know, you see in company restructurings to change debt into equity is a way to deleverage a business because it has to. So that's what, like part of the clear coke story a couple of weeks ago. Right. Um, if it was 
that if it was converting the traditional debt into equity, it's extremely beneficial of Investa mm-hmm. as it does deleverage the balance sheet and allows them to continue growth via acquisitions because you can only have so much debt on the balance sheet before people say, hey, we're not going to lend anymore to you. And if you have the ability to take debt, it's a much more, co- it's a cost effective way to, to basically continue to grow via acquisition, which this company has done. Um, and I think the last thing is the, the lead of this round is pretty interesting. It's a company called, it's a fund called Foundry based out of um, Colorado, quite famous. And uh, they led around. And what's interesting, they built a relation with Vendesta over mm-hmm. the last couple of years because Vendesta acquired two of Foundry's portfolio companies. Um, so they felt, I guess they saw how the acquisitions played out. They had a new management team and let them be in a position to you know, lead around. Right. And in terms of Vendesta's business model and maybe what stands out to you or what is unique about it, um, why do you think that's interesting and perhaps worked well for them in this case? So, you know, we talked about how they let other companies embed their products mm-hmm. and sell and share revenue. Um, it, you know, what we've seen a lot over the last decade is direct, direct to other businesses, SaaS business scale and grow. And it's not usual to distribute through partnerships or exclusively through partnerships. Why Vanessa seems to pick the right sub-vertical to do this. So SMBs are, you know, that small, medium-sized businesses are tough SaaS businesses to grow. Why? Because um, SaaS companies churn much, much more than an enterprise company. They, they're more price sensitive. They may go out of business. The owners may change much more often like than McDonald's or yeah. IBM. Mm-hmm. They're also relative to the revenue they generate. They, they actually cost quite a bit to acquire. So, so you look at the economics of SMB, SaaS, they're usually hard to scale, not great. So what Vendessa seems to have done here is create a win-win-win. They, you know, they, they spend all the money creating a product and for each additional sale, it's high gross margins. So what they've done is they embed with people who have relationships, mm-hmm. sell these products. So that that their customers that are selling this wins too because they've already got that customer and they get more revenue. So both Vendesta and their distribution partner increased the value per customer. Yeah. And then SMB gets an offering that they wouldn't have previously. So they've taken a, an industry or part of the industry that's known for having hard to serve, you know, not great at unit economics and made a way that there's good unit economics, which probably pays off for SMBs to get better products. Right. I mean, you've also mentioned it's like a win, win, win. Like clearly the strategy is working. So is there anything else that a founder or someone listening could learn just from their strategy? Well, I, I think, you know, they position themselves uniquely in a market where you're getting $500 in revenue per SMB, which is quite good. Mm-hmm. But more important, they have a distribution channel. So it will allow them, and they've they've shown that they can plug products in and then distribute it. So I think they're uniquely positioned with a clean cap table, um, a proven distribution and acquisition model to go acquire a lot of other SMB-focused SaaS businesses. Mm-hmm. So a lot of SMB SaaS businesses build a great business, but they're proving it just scaling up is hard. So there's a value in buying the product and plugging into this distribution so they can continue to go that. So I think they've really well positioned themselves to continue to grow. And just lastly, is there any other final takeaways um, or just useful tidbits for anyone that's listening from this? You know, I think one thing, they're executing at something we said we thought would happen if you go back to our podcast a year ago. We said, hey, mm-hmm. as a market finds proven to fi- harder to finance, 
companies that are scaled a bit, have distribution, have a clean cap table, will find it very profitable to grow inorganically by acquiring companies. Um, so they've reached sort of like, they've got economies of scale, clean balance sheet. I think, you know, hard to do as a founder, but if you can think about that, you can position yourself to go grow the acquisition and keep them going faster without in, in organic ways. So I think that's really great thing to see. Um, uh, you know, for raising unit economics, scalability and growth are now equally important to scaling startups as, as, as opposed to just growth. I think this, this, the fact that Vendesta could continue to raise um, shows that it's not just based on growth, but it's based upon basically, can you prove that you can scale, but scale right. properly. Um, and, you know, I think I look at a company like this, my assumptions are default a lot because the scale enables them to continue to, to, to actually be quite cash flow positive. Yeah. And I think we've talked about that a lot, just in terms of like next moves for a lot of businesses is the art of being able to scale um, just in terms of, yeah, being able to thrive and survive, I guess, essentially, especially in this market. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Float. Say goodbye to the old way of managing spend. Float smart corporate cards allow you to spend, track, approve, and reconcile all your Canadian and US dollar expenses in one simple to use platform. Float's physical and virtual cards are backed by customized spend controls and real-time reporting to help you manage your company spend. It offers instant reminders to easily text, email, or upload receipts as soon as a purchase is made. Also, with direct integrations with QuickBooks, Xero, and NetSuite, it will help make month-end a breeze. Learn more about Float and how it can help your business at www.floatcard.com. Um, our next headline is about Procurify. They landed uh, 50 million US dollars to continue to grow um, AI tools, just high level the news there. So what else can you share about this raise for us? Well, high level, they're Vancouver based. Mm -hmm. uh, 50 million USD was, was led by 10 Coast Capital, who's done quite a few um, investments in Canada and participation from Export Development Canada. It's interesting. Probably in the newsletter today, we didn't talk a bit, a bit about that, but Export Development Canada, we're seeing a name pop up a lot in growth stage uh, rounds. I think it's mm -hmm. a reflection that there's always space to get more investors in the round right now. Mm -hmm. And that EDC has taken, uh, you know, has a fund that's really focused on helping push export. They're trying to ensure that we can get scale companies that are exporting our software. So it's interesting to see them continue to be active. Right. And before we get into more of what is interesting to you about this, um, I do like when companies tend to um, utilize the name of their business to sort of explain or or give an indication as to what they do. But for those that might not know, can you just explain what uh, Procurify is doing? As, as you may have guessed from the name, they help companies with the procurement yeah. process. Um, traditionally, procurement process, you know, people think it's, you know, if you're not in procurement, you think it's pretty easy. Hey, companies go by staples or service let's go find it and buy it but as companies scale there's a whole bunch of stuff about how you determine what to buy if it's an rfp you know who has authority how do you pay um and historically as it got automated it was more and more disjointed it wasn't really great procurify has built a platform to streamline the entire process from beginning to end mm -hmm. um so you know anything from approval processes to invoice reconciliation uh, the compliance checks are done via Procurify. So it, it probably removes lots of headaches and saves time and hopefully saves money for companies. 
And aside from the fact that obviously what they're doing is incredibly useful and they have seen incredible growth, is there anything, um, you can also get into the growth too that they've seen, uh, especially year over year. Is there anything else interesting to you about uh, this news? So first of all, let, let's look at Procurify. They're, I think, eight years old. They're a company that, you know, I think we featured before, but they've never been one of those buzzy you know, buzz companies with a huge round and they continue to grow steadily and as this round shows. And they're now at 700 plus clients. They claim to be growing 100% year over year. Yep. Um, and they've raised a relatively large amount. But what was interesting is this press release and the articles that talked about it focused a lot about the AI-based tools they're building and will be building. Um, you know, they talked about how they're using AI to detect purchase orders or invoicing anomalies. Hey, this is much harder than normal. The pricing looks wrong. Um, and that it's going to take a lot of investment and use it um, continue improving procurement process. Um, yeah, so it's it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of interesting to this. Um, you know, compared to where we've seen AI promoting and fundraising announcements before, it's been either a brand new startup yeah. saying, "Hey, we're AI first. This is what's exciting. You know, why we can exist," or it's been like large AI scale companies like OpenAI or Cohere. That are building infrastructure. We haven't seen many companies raise, let's call this a B round or C round, and talk about AI in their press release. So it's either I think AI was needed for them to as part of the story to raise around, or right. they strategically find that customers are putting AI are AI curious and by mm -hmm. featuring in their in their news about the round, the AI they might be hoping to get some more inbound demand. So it was it's just interesting to see the emphasis on it. I haven't seen this before around the size. Right. And that's an interesting point you made, because I was going to ask if the AI portion of it just played like a large part in obviously what we're seeing, especially because that side of our business is booming, um, especially related to AI. So uh, just aside from maybe the fact that we have seen a lot of AI related news, especially around startups and businesses, and thinking that we might have moved out of that cycle of, of hearing about that, is there... Anything you want to highlight or do you agree or disagree or just any big takeaways just before we also, move on? So let's talk about the AI. Like I, I think mm -hmm. the fundraising cycle feels like it's past the hype cycle. Yeah. Like, like I think we are at peak AI fundraising announcements. We'll still yeah. see them, but they'll be more muted and not as crazy. I yeah. Think. Um, you know, I think in the long run, AI is like mobile. In 2010, everyone was a mobile first company. Now no one talks about, hey, we're mobile or we're available on, the cell, uh, on at Apple. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a non-event. I think AI will get there. What I think we're seeing here is from the investment in tech ecosystem, we're like, okay, AI is just another tool. I think there's lots of what I call customers that are excited to hear about AI, that they still, they're getting rewarded for bringing an AI strategy to the company. And I think we're not near the peak there yet. Or we're, if we are, it's, it's, it's going to be here for a while more. And we'll see more companies position themselves uniquely by using AI. And so I think mm -hmm. it's, it's which is interesting here is it's been really driven by enterprises um, to a certain extent. The other story here, which I think is a more exciting one to me is, I think Procurify sort of like Vendesta is a return to roots of where tech goes. Okay. And what I think is going to be important for the fundraising now. It's like, I think there's always like, in any market there's going to be buzzing companies. But then, you know, you, know you, you have go back to PayPal or eBay or Amazon early days. They grow super fast, and that's what everyone wants to invest in. Yeah. There's a whole big chunk of this ecosystem is built by companies that show, you know, what they call the double, double, triple, triple. Like, you know, hey, 
get to you know, 1 million, then 2 million, then 4 million, then 12 million, and get to 100, 200 million. Again, no clue what Procure's revenue is, but that steady, non buzzworthy growth is how you build big companies. And we sort of lost, you know, the focus on that over the boom. And I think we're going to see as we get back to a normal venture market, a lot more companies like this just continue to steadily grow and build massive companies. Right. Uh, and just lastly, um, just another, obviously, um, raise we want to talk about is so hive, um, and also yeah. raising for its secondary market. And as we know, tough, unpredictable times. So just high level, uh, what is uh, the news there that you can share? So first of all, um, Vancouver-based Hive mm-hmm. announced they did raised uh, 4.2 million USD, and, mm-hmm. and they explicitly said a 77 million post valuation. Um, you know, for people that don't know what Hive does, is they they offer a market to buy shares in private companies, not from coming directly, but from other investors. Right. And maybe this can also just be your personal opinion, but also just from a, like a VC or an investor perspective, why um, this is really interesting to you? Well, it's, there's a couple of reasons. One is this is a market many startups have tried to crack before, uh, you know, yeah. equities and, and there's a couple others that that's the whole purpose of existing. We're a secondary market for private companies. Then there's others that have tried to tuck it in like Carta, I think at one point announcement and Angelist had an announcement saying we're facilitating a second market. Um, you know, Equity Zen and a couple of other competitors are around. They've scaled a bit. One couple have been acquired. Um, Carta and Angelist, you know, but none of them have broken out to be massive successes like household names. And Carta and Angelist, I'd say, continue. my guess is continue to do secondaries, but it's not like their primary revenue driver. So mm-hmm. there's a market that's been, this is something that's been tempted quite a few times before. And when you see these type of successes, it's not easy to get any financing because investors get kind of skeptical. Um, the second thing is timing of the market. When you think about late, you know, what, what, what do people want to buy secondary markets? And they don't want to buy, they're not going to go buy a company um, that just raised a seed. They want to buy, people want exposure to a Series C or Series D company that's sort of a household name. Like everyone, like you talk to, says, oh, I love to buy SpaceX or I love to buy Airtable. But that's the part of the market that's still suffering the most. Um, you've seen a few IPOs, you know, Clavio, Instacart, uh, a couple other tech companies have gone public recently, I think, and valuations have fallen. And those valuations were way below the last round of private financing. So, right, you know, where you think the secondary market has usually been the most transactions, the most exciting, has a lot of headwinds, where the valuations of past rounds are simply down, um, and most. Sellers in this case are either employees or investors. No, they, I don't know if they really want to incur the losses. So you'd seen this would be a market that is relatively slow compared to a couple of years ago. Right. And I, I mean, I sort of like touched on this before I asked you this question, just obviously, you know, over 18 months into the, the downturn or the slowdown has been very unpredictable in terms of raising in the market. And I always like to know and i'm curious as to why it has worked for companies that have done it so why in this case did it work for them and they could do it so again not an investor my guess is they've shown growth we'll get that in a second they've shown ability Mm -hmm. to be capital efficient or have low burn and this is a large market because you know for various reasons companies don't go public companies stay private much longer and and they're much bigger so there is if there's there is a a hypothetically 
big potential for a large market here with a transaction. So if you look at what they've announced, um, Hive first bootstrapped to break even. They raised a small round previously and have been shown to be capital efficient. So in this market, people like companies that aren't throwing around money to create revenue. Um, they claim to have six-folded their transactions year over year to 170 trades in September. Um, they have 570 companies listed and 1,200 or sorry, 12,000 users. So again, not all these companies transacted. Not it just shows there's people interested in watching this market. And in a weird way, the headwinds in the market could be long-term tailwinds um, when as the investors and the employees realize it's time to sell shares. And here's a market with some liquidity. Um, we, you know, market's down, but I need to get, I, I want some cash. I want to be risk, you know, I'm 80% of my values in, I don't know, uh, Flexport. Let me sell, let me sell some and make that like only, you know, get some cash. So the fact that the, the longer the market stays negative, the more it could encourage people to get the sellers to realize that their expectations are wrong and, and facilitate more transactions. Right. And just so lastly, um, a common theme that we've been talking about, especially over the last month, is just um, timing obviously being important and also having a unique approach in terms of, I guess, raising or or this market. So, you know, whether it's um, utilizing expertise, building investor relationships, we've talked about that a lot. Is there anything else that would be useful to highlight for anyone that's listening? So, yeah, like you mentioned, timing, unique approach. So let's talk First, about the unique approach, and then talk about timing here. Yep. Um, most of the secondary markets are relatively opaque. Uh, at best, they'll have say, "Hey, we have Airtable. You know, last valuation was X, uh, and you know, implying fifty dollars a share. I'm making these numbers up. We have some available at sixty dollars a share, or forty dollars a share, and they won't tell you about past transactions. They won't tell you how much is available. And Hive is trying to build a much more transparent market showing you the bids the asks the last trades um so that so that's unique and it's, i think it's hard for companies that have like equities and to go change and mimic this right away because they may have they i don't know what any of these companies marketplaces are sourcing their their shares mm-hmm. but if they're sourcing directly from the companies the companies may not want the transparency and, they, and you know an equity has enough volume and revenue that they don't want to change the way they're doing it so that that's the unique positioning, I think now what's interesting in timing is the previous tailwinds may actually be negative. It would be maybe even harder to compete with this model, you know, two years ago. Yeah. Um, for two reasons. One, as the market was going up um, and everything seemed like a winner, investors wanted to hold, didn't have much incentive to sell. And when they wanted to sell, they knew another financing round was around the corner. There's probably going to be too much demand. If I want to take a secondary, I could probably get a secondary. So lots of like, you know, if you go back, to lots of those mammoth rounds we heard about in 21 or 20. Lots, lots of those were being sold by the company, but a lot were being sold by earlier investors. So they didn't need a marketplace to facilitate it. Um, and you know, investors thought stuff would always go up. Now, um, and also the competitors like equities and raised at those valuations. So they the, the competitors now have a problem where they probably, their valuation makes it hard for them to raise more money. So they have to be very careful how they spend their money and you know, there's probably limited upside until they get their models working. So now Hive enters the market with a unique approach that provides more transparency, maybe interesting as a subset of sellers and subset of buyers. They have a lower valuation, so they don't have to worry about growing into stuff. Mm-hmm. And 
as people realize that we're not returning the secondary sales in every round evaluation, people will be looking for another source and marketplace to sell their share. So I think that that's interesting. Um, so I think all those, it's interesting when you look at the timing and how, you know, what looked like tailwinds could have been headwinds before and now might right. be what looks like headwinds, maybe tailwinds. And then again, as I mentioned with Procurify, capital efficiency is once again, um, looked at as favorable from investors and, and you're, you're, with the same metrics, if you could prove you're more capital efficient than your competitors, you could probably more easily raise. Right. It is interesting that we have seen that switch in terms of the headwinds versus the tailwinds. Uh, and I think that's a good, a good point to end on. Um, before we wrap up, uh, just a few event announcements. Um, we have a lot of insider related events coming up, which is very exciting. I love that we're trying to leverage more networking opportunities for that community. So if you don't know about our insiders program or you're curious about it, you can obviously find all of that on our website, along with the um, information about our event on October 25th, which is a virtual kind of ask me anything. So again, Alex will be able to answer your burning questions or give his perspective on anything that's happening in the world of tech that you're curious about. And November 29th, we're going to other ship for that as well with our insiders, which will be... Yeah. Very Tell bonding. people what Othership is, if they don't know. Yeah, so Othership, I guess the best way to describe it would be it's just a facility that promotes, obviously, like um, stress relief, mental health, and it brings together, I guess, people within like a class format to kind of go through, I guess it's like breathing exercises, and I think it's like a hot-cold plunge, but very much about the de-stressing and kind of, I guess, helping everyone recharge before the holidays. I think that's what we were going for with that but that'll be i think a great way to to bond and just yeah recharge before the holidays and lastly our final tech to together of the year is november 6th at rotman so um if you weren't able to attend our last uh tech to premium at rotman um lots of people expected great lineup of speakers amazing venue and then of course an after party so you can find all of that on our website techtio.org. Uh, anything you want to highlight before we go, Alex? Well, I think, you know, I think Amar Varma just uh, uh, verified that he's going to speak in, mm -hmm. you know, he's going to go fireside within November. I think if you haven't heard Amar speak before, you don't know who he is. He's an XVC. He's had a couple big exits. He has a new company just raised $10 million. He knows you want to hear him speak. He's inspirational. He's mm -hmm. insightful. Um, if you're in Toronto on November 6th, you should join us. Yeah. And it's also, you get to to meet him and talk to him, which is yeah. another great thing about our events as well. Uh, thanks Alex for that. And also thanks for um, helping us break down just the news from the last couple of weeks. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like, and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening. And we will be back in two weeks time with another edition of tech Deal quick takes. And until then we'll see you on the inside. We're in the business of delivering impossible things. We're in the business of delivering things that nobody's ever seen before. If you build that culture, you'll come up with you know really cool and innovative stuff and you know, literally could be in the next multi-billion dollar idea. So this conversation is largely going to be about scaling yourself and scaling your leadership team. I want to talk about one of the biggest struggles that I think a lot of startups face early on, which is building initial traction.